living for Him must be done in His power and through His power alone. There's no other way. There's no shortcut. There's no, there's no you know, uh, formula number two. But it should be done in His power and through His power alone. have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I'll be reading a certain uh, passage of the scripture, and if you can uh, follow along with me as I read verses 5 to 17. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 17. Verse 5, the Word of God says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of, of the course of Abiah, and his wife was, the, was the, of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well-stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the, at, at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, John, uh, John uh, the Baptist's life as a forerunner of Christ was uh, somewhat, somewhat a link between the Old and the New Testament. And uh, according to Luke, Luke chapter 16, verse 16, John closed out the law of Moses and ushered into grace and Jesus Christ. Now, his appearance on the old, uh, his appearance unto on, on, the world was a very significant event. Because first, on that very same reason that what I said, but also the world into which John came certainly needed his ministry. He came into a hostile, godless world. 
and Scripture describes in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, as its darkness. So he came in the darkest era of time. The righteous were few, the wicked in power, and wickedness dominated the, the deeds of men. And kind of, I don't know, probably the worst in the history, I'm not sure. You know, but God always has his remnant. At all the course of years, course of time, if you read the scripture, God has always his remnant. Uh, um, even in the darkest times and in the midst of this dark world, few godly ones in Israel were present. Name, namely, Simeon, if you know him, Anna, some shepherds, Joseph, Mary, and of course, the elderly couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. So tonight, we're going to look into the life of John the Baptist. And before we move on, let's commit this time of preaching to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the privilege that we can preach and hear and even we can share it to others in this country. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to be here. And I just want to pray that you would speak into our hearts and that you would move us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would help us as we go out from this place, change to a better Christian. I pray, Father, that you would uh, be with uh, our dear pastor, Mrs. White, help them to have a good vacation and that they can recharge as well. And also for uh, Pastor Tim, as he's recovering from his voice. And Lord, I pray that you would speak into each of our hearts tonight. I don't know their conditions, situations right now, but I pray that this sermon and this message will be a blessing to each and every one of us. And we commit to you all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, uh, first here, if you're taking down notes, uh, first that we will talk about, of course, is his birth. John's birth was special. And I believe that every uh, birth of a child is special. But John's birth was, I think, has this extra special, extra blessings in, in several reasons. I'll, I'll give you some. His birth was a miracle. Now, if, if you know his, his parents, Elizabeth and, and uh, Zacharias, the Bible says that they were really stricken. And we just read that um, in, in verse, verse 7. They both were now well stricken in years. So that's the reason why his birth was a miracle. His parents were past the age of childbearing. If, you know... If we, you put that into our perspective, um, I'm not sure what's the, there's like, it varies um, how the ladies really end, you know, the end of their childbearing and the males as well. But you understand what, what I mean. If I say they're in, the, in their 60s, their 70s, their 80s, so probably you can say, yeah, it's, it's past their child, 
uh, that age. Okay, so they're, they're, so they're around that age uh, according to Luke chapter 7 that we have read. Now, in the Bible, there are six ladies that were considered barren, but eventually they gave birth to a son or sons, and later, later uh, or later, but only two from those six were actually mentioned that they were past in their age. And one is Sarah, and the New Testament is Elizabeth. So you can see that really the birth of John the Baptist was a miracle. Another one, it removed the stigma of barrenness to uh, barrenness from Elizabeth. Now, if you don't know the culture uh, th- that time, if you, it's been a long time that if you don't have a child, there's, there's a curse. It's, it's probably people will looking at this woman, Elizabeth, that he was cursed by God. He did something that caused him to not bear a child. And it's very painful to the woman during that time. I'm not sure what's the culture here in Canada when it comes to that, but we believe that God is sovereign, right? Um, um, if, if someone is not, don't have the capacity to bear a child, it's God's, it's God's way, right? We sometimes don't understand His leading, His ways, but we just trust on and to the Lord. But here we see that John's birth brought joy in the hearts of his parents, especially to his mother, Elizabeth. The, the reproach, if you will, of being barren was gone. Another reason that John's birth was special, it healed his father's uh, dumbness. Now, I want to make sure to clarify this because he, in our time, dumb, dumb, being dumb is, uh, you know, stupid or something, you're not smart. But in the, old, in the Bible, dumb, dumbness is, literally means, you know, you can't speak, you're mute, okay? You're not, you're not capable, you're incapable to speak. So Zacharias, why is the reason why Zacharias was um, mute? Because he did not believe, we just read that, he did not believe uh, that he will have a son in his old age, right? And um, sometimes, humanly speaking, we can understand that. If you say, if, if probably some of you, no, if this is just hypothetical. If, some, if the angel of the over appeared to you and then say, oh, you will have a child, and then you're like in the 80s, then it's like, no way. Okay, but um, you can understand him here, but of course it is, it is the angel of the Lord who, sp- who spoke to, uh, this, uh, these words. And so, you know, that's his consequence uh, that he did not believe. Not only he was healed, um, but he also began to prophesy and speak great things about, about God. And you, just, uh, you can just read that in Luke chapter 1 as well at the later uh, verses. So you see, John the Baptist's birth, when he came into this world, was very special. It's a very significant event. And so it's very clear uh, that his birth was extra special, so much so that the Bible tells us that the people during that time said, what manner of child shall this be? Because there's a lot of things uh, happened during his birth. 
And I believe that his birth was full of joy because if you look into verse 14, full of joy and hope, verse 14, and thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. So you see, his birth was an extra special event. Now moving on to his life, in his early life, so his birth, the second, his early life. And if we read, uh, look with me uh, in chapter 1, still in chapter 1, but we'll read verse 80. So 8-0, Luke chapter 1, verse 80, just follow along with me. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Now there's three observations here that you can just really see. The first one, he grew physically. The child grew. Well, like all people do, uh, John grew physically. Okay? John grows uh, physically. But one thing is notable in his physical uh, aspect was his discipline. His discipline. He was very disciplined with his body. Uh, first here, you can see that uh, the Bible says that uh, there's no wine or strong drink that will come into him. So he did that. This alone will actually always, you know, bring profit on, on one's body, correct? Um, his diet consists of locusts and wild honey. Now, I read something, someone wrote about an article about this, that they don't believe that uh, John actually ate locusts. They, they, there's also a word lo, locust, it's uh, in a leg, uh, legumes or beans, something like that. So locust beans. So that's what they're trying to explain. Well, however, if you, if re, you read actually the book of Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus, uh, God even told his people to eat these creatures, locusts. Um, if God told them to eat that, then it's very beneficial into uh, our bodies, correct? But probably it's just like, uh, it's gross. But anyway, G- uh, God told them to eat that. And so that's what he, he, he ate. He is, he, uh, his diet consists of locusts and wild honey. And so he's very disciplined, if you can see. If very disciplined physically, which is vital uh, because our body is the only vessel that we can use to serve the Lord, correct? There's no other way. And that's why um, I think uh, Pastor Devin quoted this verse as well in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that every one of us needs to give, to dedicate our bodies, like literally our body, to, um, to, so that God can use our bodies for His glory. And if, you, you're not, if you're here and you didn't do that, you must give it to the Lord, your body. Because the Bible says that it is your reasonable service. Okay, reasonable service. But not only he grew physically, and also you can see in verse 80 there, and waxed strong in spirit. Now, obviously, he grew spiritually. This is another key of uh, another key of his life, and much more important than earlier is his spiritual growth. And many people are physically conscious, 
but not spiritually conscious. They are only healthy physically, but sick spiritually. But that's not good. But however, you can see John's life here, he maintained these two areas in his life. Now, if he grew spiritually as in his early life, now there's an implicit truth that we can learn from his life. Now, so spiritual, uh, spiritual growth of a child starts at home. If he grew spiritually, then therefore we can say that his mother and father will actually train him not only physically but also spiritually. Training comes from home. This, and this is the implicit truth that we can see from this verse. This is a great responsibility and a privilege uh, of every parent um, to teach and train their little ones on the things of God. Many parents take, uh, take for granted of this responsibility, and instead they pass it, to, pass it off to Sunday school. They pass it off to Christian school. They pass it off this responsibility to Bible colleges. Now, don't get me wrong, though. Um, you know, Sunday schools, we encourage you to attend Sunday schools. We encourage you to, you know, as much as possible, go to a Christian school. We encourage you also to go to the Bible college, which, you know, very vital in our spiritual growth. But these institutions are not replacement of home training. We have to be very careful of that. Spiritual growth and training always uh, comes um, within the home. Well, because in fact, many of the churches, uh, many of the churches and institutions keeps on deteriorate, deteriorating because of the deteriorating homes as well. If Satan cannot destroy the church, he would definitely destroy the homes. Okay, and he will find a way to destroy each family so that they cannot be effective inside the church. You, you get the point there? So, but going back to John's earlier, uh, early, early life, he grew physically, he grew spiritually. Then we can see here in this verse, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing in, unto Israel. Now he grew vocationally. John being in the desert was actually a preparation for his calling. as a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. This gave John the opportunity to have a tremendous amount of time alone with God. Now, we are not called like John, all of us, the same as him. But we can draw principles from his life. Uh, first one is the importance of having alone time with God and also the importance of preparing ourselves to serve God. So there's two things there in his life as he prepared as a forerunner of Jesus Christ. If you have the desire in serving the Lord, especially in full-time service, or just like, you know, serving here around the church, it is important that you prepare yourself to serve the Lord. It's a, there's a training, if you will. So these two are vital in serving our Lord because first, we can't serve well if we don't have the time alone with God. Now, we all understand here, every ministry 
in this church, specifically in this church, or wherever you go, whatever church you will, you will, uh, you will attend, every ministry or God's ministry, and at the same time living for Him, living for Him must be done in His power and through His power alone. There's no other way. There's no shortcut. There's no, there's no you know, uh, formula number two. But it should be done in His power and through His power alone. Second, preparing to serve the Lord is vital, to serve Him. And that's why, you know, when, when we have Soul Winners Academy, when we have Bible College, seminars, trainings here in the church, I encourage you to, you know, join if you want really to serve the Lord because it really boosts your, you know, your, your mentality and even just your heart or your desire to serve the Lord. This is uh, very, very important. Now, we look into his birth. We already looked into his early life. And now the third one, we will look into his public ministry. Now, the public ministry of John the Baptist was incredible. But also, it was short. It's very short. Um, scholars estimate the duration of his public ministry from as short as six months to more than a year at most. So that's it. That's his ministry. See, he, uh, however, he preached repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the theme of his preaching is, of course, repentance. You can see that over and over in the four Gospels. And this very appropriate for people to be prepared for Jesus Christ. Remember, he's a forerunner of Jesus Christ, right? And that's why he preached repentance. And one preacher said this, it is useless to preach the gospel of grace of God to men who know realization of their need of that grace. What I'm just saying, I'll explain it a little bit. Many people always think that they're good and uh, that, they're, that, that they're good, and that their good deeds will always outweigh their bad deeds. Hence, the need of the Savior is not important to enter God's kingdom. So you see the, the, the application there. But this, this, but this thinking is not right, and will only lead you to hell. There's no other way. And that's why... Any person who would come across to the gospel must see the need of the Savior. And that's why you see, you know, there's a repentance of sin in his life. Not only, not only he preached, but he taught the people as well. And you can see that. And some follow him and became his disciples. And later in his life, he turned his disciples to... Uh, disciples' attention to Jesus Christ, and that's what he did. Don't follow me, follow him. Follow Jesus Christ. And uh, not only that, he also baptized the crowd and was known as the baptizer. Hence, the name John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Now, this is nothing to do with the Baptist denomination, okay? Uh, he's not the founder of Baptist. Uh, but I would, like, I would really like to explain that to all of you, but uh, for the sake of time, I ought not to, okay? But, uh, how, but I'm just trying to make a note there. John the Baptist is not the founder of Baptist. Was John's baptism of repentance 
um, the same as our believers, believers' baptism? Or if you know that, I'm not sure, but, uh, but I'm glad you, but glad you asked. You know? And the answer is no. The answer is no. John's baptism is a public declaration of their repentance. That's all that it is. Okay, so that's why John is baptizing them. If people come to him showing in public that they are really repentant of the sin that they did against God. Believer's baptism, however, is a public identification of believers. We know that. If you've been into baptism, it's actually a picture of God, uh, Jesus Christ, what? Death, his burial, and his resurrection. At the at Calvary, at, after Calvary and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the baptism of John was no longer applicable. Okay? It's just only a preparation for Jesus Christ. Okay? So, I'm glad I, put, I explained that and put it away. Now, for the fourth, and this would be a last, and I will, this is where I would really have time in this. So, we look into his birth his early life, his public ministry, but also we'll see his example. A lot to be said. If you look into four Gospels, even in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament writers also talk about John the Baptist, there's a lot of things to be said and to learn about his life. But just to, you know, shotgun to all this, to all of you, he lived a simple life. We know that. We can read that in, 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 in the Bible. He ate locusts and wild honey. He wore garments made of camel's hair and leather belt. He was bold as well. He commanded sinners to repent, Mark chapter 1. He confronted the Pharisees and Sadducees, calling them generation of vipers, and warned them of the coming of judgment, Matthew chapter 3. He confronted Herod the Tetrarch. Matthew chapter 14 told him that it was, it was sin to, to have his brother's wife. And it was the same reason why he was put in prison. Not only, not only he was bold, he was humble as well. He is always willing to be in the background and let Jesus Christ to be the center of people's attention. He felt unworthy to baptize Jesus Christ. He, was always, he always knew that Christ must increase and he must decrease. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he directed the attention of the crowd to Jesus Christ instead of him. His famous statement, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But there's one that stands out the most in his life. And that is his greatness. In Matthew chapter 11, if you go there with me, Matthew 11, verse 11. And this is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 11, verse 11. And the word of God says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath no risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, the reason why I think this stands out, being, he, being great, his greatness overarch 
or overarches his entire life. He is not only the he is not only the greatest, but he is the greatest who has ever lived. He said, "Jesus Christ here, born uh, there's among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a, a greater than John the Baptist." And to think that this commendation came to our Lord Jesus Christ, no one that has ever lived had con uh, that can match his greatness. Now, he's greater than all the prophets. You know the lives of the prophets. They gave their life to just to preach the message of Jesus Christ to his people. You know, they were ostracized and by many people. They were kind of... They were viewed as hostile in the eyes of men. They gave their life to serve God. He was also, not only that, he's greater than David. The Bible says the man after God's own heart. He is greater than Moses, that he was reared or hailed to be the greatest leader of the nation of Israel. He is greater than Abraham. The Bible says he was called the friend of God and the father of many nations. He is also greater than Noah, who, was found, who found grace in the sight of God and obeyed God to build an ark. He is greater than Enoch, of whom the Bible says walked with God, and he was not because God took him. So you see, with all of these people that I told, uh, tell, tell you, John is the greatest of them all. Now, to be the greatest in the sight of God is hard in our perspective, right? I mean, to be the greatest, it is hard because it can only be done by the power of God. But the fact that we serve the same God, that's a good, that's a good thing. It means that it can be done in our lives as well. But how can we measure greatness? In the world of sports, if you just go into media and uh, YouTube, <laughs> they're debating who's the greatest of all time. Right? In the world of sports, in basketball, in uh, football, or, or uh, what else? Baseball. Who's the greatest? Who is the GOAT? They call it the GOAT, greatest of all time. In the career world, when uh, you attain your ambitions in life, Probably that's how, how you would measure greatness. In the business world, you always, you know, cl close a big deal. Or you've reached the top. Okay, you become the CEO of the company. You're the greatest. In the world of music, if you wrote a lot of songs, played uh, difficult music mas masterpiece. You know, in the world, in world's history as well, the world has list of great people because of their accomplishments. Now, if... But if I wonder, of all these five categories, and I'm for sure certain that there are still also a lot more categories, uh, for these five categories I mentioned, really they measure greatness. And time will come that each person will stand in the presence of God. And we all see these men who are represented to be greatness in all the areas of this life. I wonder if these men and women 
will be acknowledged of God as great by your own Savior, Jesus Christ. With all the views of men about greatness, there's one view that trumps all areas of human greatness, and that is the view of God. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 to 27, and also Mark chapter 10, verse 45, in the kingdom of God, in God's world, if you will, there's greatness comes through service. Jesus Christ said in, in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Another one in Matthew chapter 10, if you can turn with me there. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, very familiar passage, verses 26 to 27. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 27. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among, among you, let him be your servant. Greatness comes through service. And this principle of greatness ties into the Great Commission. Because John's great ministry was actually to point people to Christ. And that is his ministry. In Luke chapter 1, if we, we go back to our text, Luke chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, it's very clear there. In verse 16, And many of the children of Israel shall, shall, shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and, to, and the disobedient to the, wisdom, uh, to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the question is, how's our involvement? Her great commission. We are so blessed in this church that we are so much involved with the great commission. We have our Jerusalem, you know, our Judea and Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the world. And and that's why we 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 ask that how is our how how is our involvement in the great commission? We as Christians are also called to be witness to Christ, to point people to Christ. So it's very important that we should actively involving in the proclamation of the gospel. And then I want to close this thought. And I really want to direct your attention here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. We read that before, but there's a statement there that Jesus Christ, was, uh, Jesus Christ mentioned. Matthew eleven eleven. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now look closely in the last phrase here. Notwithstanding, he that is list in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was great because of the calling that was given to him. I mean, in all the people... God chose John to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's no other person have done that. 
And that's why I think he's the greatest. Because he himself personally point Jesus Christ to others, to people. And he was, however, he was yet in the state of infirmity, imperfection, if you will, and therefore come short of the glory of the saints in the kingdom of heaven. You get the point? Note that there are, you know, if you see there, it seems that there are degrees of glory in heaven. Some are less than, other, than others there. And one commentator say, though every vessel in the sight of the Lord, we are equal in heaven. Though every vessel is equally full, all are not equally large and spacious. You get the point there? So that's why, so nevertheless, all who were blood-bought by Jesus Christ are great in the kingdom of God. But our greatness in the kingdom of heaven is not because of us. It's because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But, there's a big but here. We know that we, if we go to heaven, God considers us as great already. But we are not in heaven yet, correct? Because I can still see you. If there's like a white, a white uh, light here. <laughs> um, never mind. Um, but... Um, we're not yet in heaven. And God called us to live for Him. And we can choose to live a God-honoring and Christ-like life for Him. And also, we have the... And one thing that is, that is really different from the Old Testament is that we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. And that's why when it comes to being great in the sight of God here in this world... It's possible. It's possible because of the Holy Spirit. So we can exemplify greatness in the sight of God and in the sight of men. God can also use us for conversion. God can use us to bring people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. God can use you as you know, pastors, church workers, missionary. Or simply someone who invites people to church and helping to clean our church in all areas of, you know, service. Because God called us to be His servants. And greatness only comes through service. Serving our God and serving our serving fellow Christians and men. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.